Welcome to the RedCouch.net Game of Thrones podcast, The Iron Couch. My name is Jeremy Zarzicki. As always, we have myself and Shar Balmani recapping this week's episode. Uh, Shar, if you could introduce yourself for the good people at home. Hello, good people at home. I am still Shar Balmani, and I'm checking in from Palm Beach, Florida, where the weather is beautiful, the beach is awaiting, but not until we get this Game of Thrones podcast done. And just for your reference, the red couch still not a porn site. <laughs> we'll uh, we'll we'll keep uh, reaffirming that every episode, just just in case people get their hopes up. I mean, maybe. the people need to know. The people need to know whether we've sold out and become a porn site yet or not. So right. we're uh, happy to say we're not, not yet. Um. So yeah, this this will be a fairly short episode. Um. I feel like there's, uh, we kind of talked before we went on mic about how there's, you know, there's not that much for us to really analyze and introspect about. Um, so we'll we'll cover the stuff we got to cover, and then hopefully you can uh, you can find yourself some uh, some cute cu- Cuban girl here in a in a little bit. That sounds good to me. All right, so um, I guess let's just begin with so Shar, what's uh, takes hot takes. Uh, not, well, I guess at this point, lukewarm takes because we're almost to the the next episode. But what is I your? I still call it a hot take, especially because we're on the heels of the next episode. Uh, but before we get to specific hot takes, I kind of wanted to get into just my overall impression of the episode. And you know, I think there's a couple different ways to approach it here. And, and you got into it a little bit there. Is that you know, it's no secret that you and I are. You know, we're the one thing we're definitely agreed on is we're both big fans of episodes like episode two. There was a character interaction episode, and there was a lot more dialogue, and you got to see how these characters, you know, that we've been following for eight years by now, interact with each other. And you know, the battle sequences are nice, and that's what it's all building towards. But in episodes like this, not only is it our favorite to watch, but it's not going to be our favorite to podcast about because. We're limited in what we can talk about. Right. Uh, looking at it just at, for you know from the perspective of the episode, I think you can nitpick this episode all you want, but in reality, it was beautifully done. It was, you know, in a way, it was a cinematic masterpiece. It, it was an hour-long battle sequence, a little longer, you know, with only minor breaks, with dialogue going on in between, and they managed to hold your attention throughout. And one of the ways they did is they used a bunch of different plot devices where it wasn't just one epic long battle scene, but they broke it up into an epic battle scene at the beginning. And then at some point they transitioned into a horror movie with Arya and the Crypts. And then, then, and then they were able to transition back into an action sequence with John running through Winter, Winterfell trying to get to Bran. So really, you know, I think people can nitpick this all they want and, Certainly, there were a ton of plot holes, which we're about to get into. But all in all, the episode, you know, really does deserve our applause, and it was it was well done. Looking at it from the second perspective that I'm looking at, which is more, where does this episode fit into the story that we've been following now for eight years, and how is it going to help resolve this story and reach, reach a, you know, help us reach some satisfying conclusion at the end of this? Uh, you know, I made no secret about the fact that for three years now, I've hated this White Walker and this Night King subplot. And going into this episode, I was pretty annoyed by the fact, again, that the entire storyline was diverted away from 
the family fighting each other and who's going to sit on the Iron Throne to we need to all get together and fight the Night King. After this episode, I'm abundantly more annoyed than I was going into the episode because to me, it seems like we've talked about the Night King for seven years as this looming threat, and especially the last three years since Hardhome, we've talked about it as the major threat and the major storyline. And it basically seems like it led up to this one epic episode, which was entertaining to watch, but then it's gone. Just like that. As quick as, quick as the Night King showed up in Winterfell, just like that, poof, he's gone with one thrust from Arya. So I just, I mean, I, maybe you can put it, give me some perspective on this, but I just don't get it. I don't understand why we exhausted all this energy and all this attention diverting it towards this one storyline, which just like that, you know, as fast as it entered our world, it's left. So uh, let me let me take kind of each thing you said one at a time, because um, I think by and large we I, I, I disagree with you on almost everything. <laughs> um, so first off, to begin with, uh, from shocker, I know. Uh, well, I, normally I think we probably agree more than than disagree, but on this one, there's very little I think common ground. I will say this. The episode, um, I, I do agree that in, in some aspects was a very well-constructed episode. I do like the fact uh, how it was kind of broken up uh, between you know a, a, a true battle and a, uh, a horror movie and, and how they kind of wove... Uh, some different styles together. I, I, I do think that was really good. Also, you know, the the big complaint all week from the internet crowd has been about how dark uh, the episode was, and there's been a bunch of memes on that. I, I personally, it was a little dark on my television. I watched with the lights off um, and and shades drawn and stuff like that because I knew you know, you I, I knew going in. I mean, this is going to be a night episode, so it's going to be a little darker. So I wanted to make sure not to have any light, and it was fine. I mean, it was on the dark side, but I, I didn't have any problems seeing things because of that. My greater issue with it was the the editing and the way, really, the editing and the cinematography um, of it. I I did not care for in a lot of places. the The big problem I had with the editing was uh, two things. One, there were a lot of scenes that the the pacing was just weird. There, there were a lot of scenes where there were a lot of quick cuts and you couldn't really tell what was going on. And then there were other scenes that had extended cuts and it's like, why are we spending so much time on it? What One of the big examples uh, with that is uh, there, there's a, a point where in about, and, and I'm going just off memory, so I might be a, off on this a little bit, but there's about a somewhere around like a 15 minute span where it's cutting back and forth between the battle and everything's shot at such an angle you can't even tell who's necessarily fighting where, where the heroes are, etc. And then it would cut back to the scene with Danny and John riding the dragons caught in in the blizzard and it would stay there for for minutes of us not being able to see anything and nothing really happening except for them being caught in a blizzard and then it would cut back to the battle sequence uh with a bunch of quick cuts and it it made it very hard to tell what was going on in the battle and then at the same time it's like why are we spending so much time watching them flay around in a blizzard um and then i'm going to put on hold some of the the plot hole issues because we can talk about that separately um, the other issue I had was that 
there wasn't a lot of time spent really have giving giving a chance for the characters to sort of reflect and and react and and by that I don't necessarily mean you have to stop and have exposition and dialogue um but the you know that it's just the, there wasn't a lot of stuff necessarily grounding it you didn't have scenes where until Arya really in the, running around in the the library in the halls you didn't really have any scenes where you felt any emotion uh, from any of the, the, the people that we're supposed to be rooting for. And I think that kind of was a detriment and kind of neutered how, how well a lot of that, especially like the early, the first half, basically, of the episode, how well it resonated. I will say, um, I, I do think being so dark and being so kind of frenetic and having a lot of confusion, uh, you know, that was an intentional decision by the director. And I do think... To some degree, it worked in so much as it sort of, you know, it is supposed to be a, a terrifying episode, and it is supposed to convey a lot of that confusion and doom that everybody's seeing. And I think that was effective. I just think they could have done a lot better. And then your final point, as far as Arya and the sudden end of the Night King, I don't have as much of an issue with that. I definitely get where you're coming from, um, but that was the way it had to. One way or the other, that was the way it had to happen because we all knew. The only way for them to win this was to kill the Night King, you know, with Dragon Glass, you know, stab him through, uh, etc., etc. So that had to be the only sequence, and it was going to be a sudden thing. As soon as he was dead, it was going to cause uh, everything to fall apart. So that didn't bother me as much. Um, well, let me be clear. The, the way it ended was beautiful. Arya coming out of nowhere, and who better than Arya to do it? You know, and again, you're right. We do agree more than we tend to disagree. And I think, you know, if if they would have told us from the beginning that it was Arya that was going to be the one to do it, you and I would have loved that from the beginning. Yeah. Again, who better than Arya, you know, to do this? I mean, she would have been my favorite choice for it. So that was great. But I still don't get from an overarching standpoint what the whole point of this Night King subplot was. You know, they could have made it a looming threat and not diverted the storyline towards it. But it's, you know, all we heard about for the last three years was this was it. This is everything that we're devoting, at least the non-Cersei subplots, was this is what we're all devoting our time and energy towards, is we need to get together and set aside our differences and find a way to come together as one Westeros to fight this Night King, and it was all for this one episode. Again, the episode was great, at least from my perspective. It seems like you had a ton of issues with it. Um, and, and rightfully so. You know, you made a lot of good points. Uh, but whether you like the episode or not, I still don't under... I mean, how does this drive the story's narrative forward, moving forward? How did this... And how did this really... I guess... How did it do justice to all the storylines that we've left untied and, you know, came to an abrupt end just so we could get here to this one point at this Battle of Winterfell? I don't. I, I still don't understand that. Yeah, and I think, and again, yeah, this is something we've talked about before. I, I don't know that there ever was going to be a satisfying resolution to it. We, the, the show has struggled, and really the book series to some degree, although the show definitely more so because it's further along, has struggled with, yeah, that sort of resolution uh, and, and balancing of 
the the White Walkers versus everything else. You know, basically where the books are at and where the show was up to season, I guess it would have been five. Um, you've got a lot of this uh, sort of back and forth and conniving and wars and skirmishes and strategy going on between all these different factions and and you know we're watching the Starks be cast about through all that and it's it's all great it's all, it's all wonderfully told and it's this this fascinating intrigue and power struggle and we get to watch the 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 trials and tribulations of this family you know as they try to forge through it and that's all really good. And and you in the background, like you said, in the background you have kind of the threat of the Walkers and the Night King. And that's when it works best. That's when it always worked best was when it was that looming background threat that sort of motivated everything. Once it became a foreground threat, I just don't know that you were ever going to have a, a very good resolution. You know, it, 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 because it has to be resolved. And once you resolve it, I mean, that's you know that's the end of it. The one thing I will say. Is and again, this is one of the problems I have with how the episode was constructed. Is aside from really aside from Lord Friendzone's death, we don't have a lot that really hammered home just how damaging and crippling this was. I think it would have been a lot more effective and it would have been more satisfying if rather than trying to do the whole battle in one episode, if they'd set up the battle them losing badly spent a lot more time on us seeing kind of the costs and just how you know how much this really has taken its toll and then in the next episode you know have a second episode where we see kind of the the basically the last 20 minutes you know that residual them struggling and then Arya you know finally killing the night king i think that would have been a little more Profound, I, I, you know, it just feels like not much. Like you said, not much really happened because there weren't a whole, there wasn't a whole lot lost, and now the Night King's gone. And well, and I think we're going to see the toll of what happened this episode and the aftermath of what they show at the beginning of the next episode. Right. And I think to an extent, you could you could see the toll of what was going on at least at least with, with respect to the literal toll that it took on the army that they had gathered together as the episode went along. For instance, when, you know, 90% of the Dothraki vanished with one failed swoop oh. at the beginning of the episode, that was something that, I mean, that, that was a pretty clear indication of, you know, even if somehow they figure a way out to survive this, a large chunk of their army is going to be gone by the end of this. And I thought one other way we saw that, too, is at the end of it when Viserion was, uh, you know, the dragon with the blue smoke that was now a white fighting for the Night King army. When Viserion was smashing into the walls of Winterfell and sort of taking down the walls by himself, I think that became a very real indication that even if they somehow find a way to survive this, what's going to be left standing after this? So... Uh, you know, I think I, I think they're going to tie that up in the first ten minutes of the next one. But turning back to this one, was there a particular favorite sequence that you liked? I know there was you had issues with a lot of the way this was done, but was there one sequence that stood out to you? Uh, yeah, there was actually. Um, and something I was thinking about when I was watching it is uh, the last about whatever twenty minutes when they have that that music overlaid and it's it's the cuts back and forth as we watch everybody, you know, struggling. You know, we watch uh, uh, Jorah basically dying, you know, getting getting killed. 
we watch um, you know Theon fighting to the last man to try to protect uh, Bran. We watch Viserion uh, crashing through the the wall. All of that I thought was just beautifully done. I thought the the scoring of the music was fantastic, and and again, that is that was had a lot of the things that I thought was missing from the rest of the episode. Is we we had these nice clear cuts where we got to see Jorah fighting, we got to see John uh, trying to char- charge on Viserion. You know, we really knew what was going on, and we got to see the reaction. We got to see Danny. The, the the sadness and fear in her eyes as she watches uh you know Jorah die and got to see the the exasperation from uh John and and as he he's trying to do you know one last charge um and I thought that was fantastic and also that follows up on the same time we had a similar thing last episode when we had Pod singing and had that a similar kind of montage and it dawned on me there's been several times throughout the show where they've done that same trick where they've had a, a song or a scoring with that s- sort of montage and every time they do it it's it's great it's that is i think one of the things the show has done consistently extremely well, well. It, and the one this takes me back to and you're right they have done this several times and the one that happened at the end of the battle of winterfell with the music it was piano music and it was it, it, the other big music montage that we had with piano music do you remember what that was no, it was Cersei the, blowing up yes. the steps of Baylor, which is at the end of at the end of season six, which right. was another huge moment. And it, you know, as soon as that music started playing, the way it did, and everything slowed down, it really took me back to that. And it, you know, I agree. This, this was one of my favorite sequences in the episode well, for that too, because it did take me back that amazing moment you know and how they had played that out with Cersei and it also spelled doom to me just because of how that ended at the end of season six with Cersei basically taking out all those characters it seemed like it was a show signaling to us that there's no happy ending to this this is a slow march to everyone's death yeah and also in bringing that up is made me think of another thing that's one of the things that I think is to, to juxtapose it with that scene that was super effective is that that Cersei sequence, the the blowing up the sept. In that sequence, the score is it's a crescendo. You know, it starts very kind of ominous and builds and builds and builds. And as you're watching it, you're like, you know, you start off you're kind of confused. You know what. What does this have to do? And then it's like, oh shit, oh shit, oh shit. You know, it's like that that escalation. Whereas this scene, they actually did kind of the opposite very effectively, where the music is very kind of just minor key and meandering and you know, it really conveys the slow death and desperation that's that's going on. There is no big, you know, blow up kind of sequence this is leading to. This is everybody slowly dying you know on their their last stand until the very end when Arya stabs and and you know the music doesn't stop but there's a tonal change and then it stops and i thought that was super effective the other thing too that was effective i thought in the music is there's only one line of dialogue uttered during that entire sequence uh and that's brand to theon and i thought that made it so profound that here we have 20 minutes of of Silence, and then you have brands, you know, basically acknowledging 
what a hero Theon is to the Starks. And I, I thought that was just a great moment. I, Theon, I thought, had the one of the best deaths uh, of any character in the show. You know, I, I thought it really paid tribute to him, and it, it felt very genuine. It felt very real. Um, you know, that, I thought that was great. So, Char, what was your take as far as best uh, sequence or, or best scenes? So it seems like your favorite sequence was the last 15 minutes of the show. My favorite sequence, you know, juxtaposed to what you're saying, was actually the first 10 to 15 minutes of the show. This whole time we've been hearing about this army that Cersei, not Cersei, that Daenerys had been amassing over the last six years and all our travels in Essos and getting this army ready for this big battle to take the Iron Throne... Uh, but we'd never really seen it. We'd never really seen it in its full might. And that first sequence, to me, it was cool finally seeing this army. That You know, even this season they spoke about it. This was the greatest and biggest army ever put together. And it was cool how they panned through that. And they did it from a bunch of different characters' perspectives, where they initially started with Sam in the chaos, and then they panned to Tyrion, and then finally they went to Arya and Sansa above Winterfell looking at this army. But to me, it was awesome to see everyone together at last, you know, set up to fight this war. And it was cool to see that the Dothraki and their horde was on this front line. And right behind them, they were backed up by the Unsullied. And then on the different flanks, you had the Northerners on one side and you had the Knights of the Vale on the other side. And you had all the legendary fighters we've ever heard of pretty much together, where you had the scene where Brienne... And uh, Podrick, although, you know, he's not a legendary fighter, he's legendary with other things, but he's standing next to Brienne, Jamie Lannister's there, and then you pan over to the other side, and you have uh, John Darien and the Hound, and, you know, a bunch of, and Gendry and a bunch of other people we've become familiar with. So that first opening sequence, uh, you know, is something that I've been waiting for to see for a while, and it was, even though it wasn't where I wanted to see it again, I wanted to see it at King's Landing, you know, knocking on Cersei's door, it was cool to see all these people come together and, you know, for them to be overlooked on a mountaintop by Jon Snow and Daenerys, who would also come together with the two dragons up there. I thought that was beautifully done. And one thing, and I, I agree, I thought that opening sequence was great, too. Um, not as great as the end, but I, I, do, I did really enjoy it. And one of the things, again, to go back to things the show has done well, and I, I, I don't know, I haven't looked at the credits to see... Uh, I haven't researched to see if they've had a consistent director photography, uh, director photography throughout the the series, but I suspect there's been at least some consistency to that staff. And whoever it is that's in charge, whoever their their cinematographer is, one of the things that I really enjoyed about that opening sequence, and one of the things they've done consistently well, are these long cuts. Um, one of my favorites, going back to the last really big battle episode we had you know the battle of the bastards there's that has probably my favorite scene in the entire series when john initially uh charges in uh and gets you know not knocked off his horse and then he's on foot and that whole thing is one take is one continuous it's like a close to, i think two minute uh, shot of him on the battlefield and the camera swinging around as he's fighting and it's just one continuous take and that was sort of the same thing they did obviously 
different, not battle, but, you know, uh, with this episode was, it was a lot of panning, one continuous take going from character to character. And when they've done that, it's been just beautiful. And, and especially, you know, again, I, I think I probably, watching the show, I probably have a little bit more of an eye to the, the technical aspects uh, that go into the actual production of it. But this, like you said, the scope of the army, and, and what's so impressive about that is that is all... You know, some of that is probably CGI, but a lot of that is extras. So they had to sit there and get all of these people coordinated, all of this set up, and and to convey just the, the the scope of what we're dealing with. And it's all pulled off so flawlessly. I mean, it really does hammer home just how big this army is, how what we're dealing with here. Uh, and, and, and I agree. I thought that was just a great sequence. Right. Right, and I don't, you know, you you always look, you do a better job of looking at it from a technical and a production level standpoint. I'm more just on a peripheral level that, you know, my brain functions a lot more simply, I guess, where, you know, I I just like to see what I'm seeing and I like to analyze it based on that. And I don't need to see what happens in the kitchen. As I, it's just the finished product I'm looking <laughs> How at. How the sausage is um, made. It's, it's you know it's nice it's nice living in my cloud it's nice living in this uh in, in this very simplistic existence but they did do you know this was one of the rare times that you know I joined you in being interested in how they shot this episode and HBO did a good job of airing a special after the episode where they really got into it for and it, this was you know another hour long take by HBO but they did a good job of showing how long it took to shoot some of these sequences and I think it was something like 55 straight nights of filming uh, in Northern Ireland which is just crazy if you think about it Uh, it, and you know it really I mean it really gave me some appreciation for the first time thinking about what all went into making this happen and coming you know making it come into our living rooms yeah Um, but since it is a battle episode you know one of the things again we don't have a ton of dialogue to talk about uh, which is usually one of our favorite things, but there are, you know, a battle of this size is going to produce a bunch of winners and losers, so might might be kind of fun to get to that. If you were going to start with one winner from this episode, is there someone that comes to your mind? <coughs> Sorry, I'm still getting over the stupid cold. Um, You've been trying yeah, to get over this cold for a couple of weeks now. It's it's lingering. Whenever I get sick, it I just get these lingering coughs for a while. Um, yeah, so I had uh, two winners. Um, and uh, I'll probably I'll give one and then throw it back to you because I don't I might end up stealing a couple of yours and I don't want to. Um, away, my man. My first winner, and this has been a consistent winner, and it's actually it's probably a weird one to pick as a winner because he dies. Is again Theon. Um, I thought we all if there was one thing we all knew and we all were right on and was all clearly obvious it was that Theon was going to die this episode. No, I think everybody and their grandmother thought that going in. Right, and you and I covered that pretty extensively yeah. last week. You know, we thought because he did complete his redemption arc, at least it seemed like he completed his redemption arc coming into this episode, that he was doomed to die. Yeah, and, and so it wasn't a question of if Theon was going to die so much as how. And right. I thought the way he was handled was just astounding you know the 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 way he defended bran and then just the exhaustion in his eyes as he's doing everything possible to keep him alive and then we finally have the you know he uh, 
him doing one last charge of the Night King, which we all know is doomed. I, I thought it was a very fitting end to his arc and, and you know, really gave him a hero's death. So um, he, he had to go out. We all knew he was going to go out, but I think he went out in, in a very good way. And I think it really did complete the complete redemption uh, of, of his character. Um, who was your first winner, Char? Well, and on Theon, it was kind of surprising to me how much they spent on this character and how much time was spent on this character this season turning him into this hero because he's mm-hmm. certainly, and you're completely right, you know, even though he did go out, he went out a winner. He went out full circle atoning for every mistake that he had ever made and, you know, after he had atoned earlier this season for, you know, abandoning Yara and then rescuing her and, after, you know, he had atoned for everything he'd done to the Starks by saving Sansa, the last thing he needed to do was atone to Bran, and he did that. And it was nice. I was just surprised. By I, di- I didn't see it coming. I didn't see this Theon storyline taking such center stage and him going from, you know, this also Rand that we all like to joke about to now, you know, this character that we look in, at in a completely different light just over the course of three episodes. Uh, and one one bit of dialogue I thought with Theon that was pretty important, you know, the last, the, and you got into it, the last monologue, the last dialogue between him and Bran right before Theon died was big, but I thought the bigger part for his character was earlier, before the fighting had started uh, in the Godswood, was when Bran tried, when Theon tried to apologize to Bran, and Bran told him, you know, everything you've done led you to be where you need to be, which is here, which is home. Yeah. And I think... Theon hearing that, hey, this is your home, it's always been your home, regardless of whether you were here as a captive since, you know, two years old, you were a family member and you're a Stark and you're one of us. So even if he wouldn't have died the way he did, I I thought just hearing that from Bran for Theon was coming full circle. Uh, switching switching to my winner, you know, it's, I think we're going to have the same theme throughout this. I think most of our winners are going to be dead people just because the way they closed out their story. Uh, and, you know, my, the first winner that I want to talk about is is the person who's been one of my favorite characters for the last three years who came out of nowhere, and I wish she'd been with us all along, but it's the Lady Mormont. Uh, I mean, if you want to talk about ways to go out, it's going out as a, I don't know how old she is in this, but, you know, presumably any you could say anywhere from 12 to 18, and I'd believe it going out as one of the tiniest characters in the show who kills the the by size biggest threat in the show so the way she went out was just a beautiful tribute to who she was uh you know when she first appeared on screen three years ago it was back in bear island when Jon snow and sansa were trying to recruit an army to fight the battle of the bastards and they went to her because you know she'd been writing all those notes about how the only king in the north we recognize the only king we recognize is the king in the north whose name is Stark so they thought they could turn into an ally and you know immediately from the first second she was on screen she was this stubborn hard nosed you know larger than life and larger than the size she was a leader and you know one of my favorite quotes she's ever made even though she's had a lot of sound bites was the first one where she said, my mother wasn't a great beauty or any other kind of beauty. She was a great warrior, though. Though She died fighting for your brother, Rob. Uh, and, you know, even though that was true about her mother, that quote ended up being true about her. 
at the end of the day, which, you know, Lady Mormont wasn't a great beauty or any other kind of beauty either, but she proved that she was a warrior. Uh, you know, she was a leader and she was a warrior and the way she died, you know, if she, if she was going to go out, this was the perfect way for her to go out. So I think we're all at a loss for losing her. At least I am. I mean, it broke me in that episode when she died. That's when I kind of stopped giving a crap about what happened to the rest of them momentarily. Uh, but if she was going to go out, I'm happy she went out the way she did. Yeah, no. And, and I agree with all of that. Um, I do think, you know, obviously she's been a fan favorite since she came on. And I think the, the you know, the way she died was fitting, you know, for her character. Um, I, I do I do wish she had survived. That that was one of the deaths, and, and we can maybe touch on that a little bit once we get done with Winners and Losers, is, is um, I sort of thought, in general, not enough people died this episode. Um, and but that was one of the deaths that was, if not surprising, one of the ones where I was like, "Huh, you know, I, I wouldn't have necessarily pegged her uh, to die." Certainly, I don't think we saw it coming. You know, you and I guessed Theon, and we guessed Jorah, mm-hmm. and we had a sense. You know, we had a sense of a couple other things that were going to happen, and those, you know, those were thrown in our face last episode. But yeah, this one was definitely the one that was the most shocking and came out of the blue. It just didn't it didn't make sense that it, and it didn't seem like it was something that needed to happen. Right. Right, I agree. So do you have another winner? I do. Um so first off, I'm going to give I guess like an honorable mention uh as it were to Arya. I don't want to spend a whole lot of time on that cuz I mean I think it pretty much goes without saying. But the the other winner I had and you know, sort of to follow up both with our theme of winners that are that died, and also with Arya, is uh, and I know I've mentioned before he's one of kind of my personal little favorites was Dondarrion, um, because sort of again like Theon, um, and and Dondarrion was a bit of a surprise. His death was for me because again, you know, we talked about this last week. I thought he was going to survive this episode and then die in, you, later or die in a different way. I thought he was going to die eventually. I just didn't think it was going to be this episode. But still, you know, his his death again, sort of like Theon's, you know, was a matter of fate. Um, and he he was there for a reason. Uh, he, he died to save Arya, which was integral to the whole thing. Um, and I think the fact that not only did he, not only did he die a hero's death saving Arya, but he also was directly responsible for getting the Hound to snap out of it and also help save Arya. So um, I thought he, he did he did everything he could to to without Dondarrion this doesn't happen. You know, without Dondarrion the Night King, you know. Uh, it, isn't killed, you know. Arya m- might not survive the halls, and and definitely, you know, he wouldn't have you know gotten to the Night King in time w- without his help. So I think he's hugely integral, and I think his his arc wrapped up, you know, as it should have. What did you think of Melisandre's explanation that the reason the Lord of Life brought him back to life, because by all accounts, Sondarian's been brought back to life, what, over ten times now? Sure. And Melisandre's explanation for it was that the Lord of Life kept bringing him back to life for this moment. Was that 
was that a satisfying explanation to yeah. you that this is really everything that was it was leading up to for him all along? Yeah, and it it also parallels the books, so it was it was something I was kind of. I mean, it's something that the show's kind of hinted at, but also the books do too. So it was something I'd kind of sort of accepted. The difference in the books being that Dondarrion, uh, uh, I think I mentioned this last episode, he dies, um, or at least it's implied he dies, passing his life on to Cat uh, uh, Stark to resurrect Catelyn uh, 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 Stark. Um, but I think it's still the same point, is that he... In this case, he kept being brought back so he could save Arya, who... And, and we can have a whole different conversation about that, who I, I, I think, you know, is the warrior of light. You know, I think Arya is the fabled warrior of light, and that's why Melisandre... She's the, she's the princess that was promised. Right, the princess. You're hearing about the prince. Yep. Maybe it's the princess. Yeah, and, and I think that's where, you know... Um, one, Melisandre returning, and second, you know, Dondarrion, you know, his resurrection. I think both of their fates were to Arya, you know, led to Arya for a reason. Um, so, no, I, I thought that I was perfectly happy with that. I, you know, I, I, I thought it made sense in the overall thing, and it, it wasn't at all surprising to me. It was, and also, I know a couple people kind of mentioned this while I'm on the topic real quick, and then I'll get back to your next winner. Um, a couple people mentioned how they were shocked that, you know, Melisandre just kind of, again, this concept of deus ex machina, which I talked about last podcast, how she just kind of swept in at the very beginning to, you know, render aid and where did she come from. Did it. And I didn't have as much of an issue with that because I kind of felt something like that was going to happen because I think she has always been on the periphery trying to figure out what her role is, what her fate was, and for her to kind of sweep in, I don't think she was ever gone. I think she's kind of been lurking, you know, near Winterfell for a while now, and realized here's the time. This is what the Lord of Light has called me to do. This is my final deed, you know, to him. So that that all made sense enough for me. I mean, in the grand scheme of plot holes, we've had the last two seasons. None of that bothered me, and I think you know her arc and Dondarrion's arc you know was essential for for Arya which is which is really the part that's important um so who who is your next winner from this week well carrying on the same theme that we established here so far we've named three dead people as winners which you know ordinarily in the real world it wouldn't make sense and even in this world you know to a degree it's certainly a bittersweet ending even though they did have great endings it's, it's part of it is bitter because it's an ending and they're dead and even though we expected it uh it's here but yeah my my fourth winner is also another dead person which was jorah yeah uh in you know jorah i I guess it could be as simply put as this which is if jorah had to pick one way to go out it would be exactly this way which would be spending his dying breath essentially protecting Daenerys and being valuable to Daenerys and, you know, having her hover over him and basically show him how valuable she was to him. Uh, you know, the emotion she showed at, at the end when Jorah was gone and it was obvious that Jorah was gone, it was, it was real. It was real emotion. Um, and you know, part part of me though, watching that was like, just give him a kiss, you know, <laughs> right. right before he dies. Like, just do us all a favor and give him one last kiss. The guy deserves it at this point. 
yeah there there was a meme on that about uh you know with the, the little stills of Jorah's death scene and and uh it's it has a uh, uh, you know, Danny crying, you know, and and she says, "Jorah, don't go. You were my best friend." And then, like, the next right. one is is right. him coughing blood and just fuck off. <laughs> yeah, um, even 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 with his dying death, he was still ultimately in the friend zone. Lord friend zone uh, or sir you know, friend it zone. Was nice, it was a touching friend zone, but it was still. I I mean, at some point, it was like, what more does this guy have to do, man? Like, just give him something. Yeah, anything. No, and and the thing is, is I and and I agree, and, and Jorah was definitely close to to one of my winners too, and also his death was so Delorius Ed's death, whatever. Um, I don't think anybody really that resonated very well with anybody. Uh, Dondarrion's death, well, heroic, you know, I, that didn't have a huge emotional impact with me. Theon did to some degree, but of all the deaths, um, and again, there there should have been more, but of all the deaths that we had. His Sir Friendzone, uh, Jorah's death, was the one that I think. I mean, I choked up. I mean, it was a very well executed scene. You know, both with him fighting and and kind of uh, constantly getting stabbed and slowly, you know, bleeding out as he's defending Danny, and then that actual final scene. I thought that was spectacular, and and yeah, and I, and I agree. It it was it was a fitting end, and also. The the other thing I should mention too is one of the other reasons I thought his death was more profound is because unlike uh, Ed, who none of us really cared about, unlike Theon, who we all knew was going to die, unlike Dondarrion, who we all knew was probably going to die sooner or later, Jorah, you know, I think we all had a suspicion, but there also was still a very real possibility that he might not. You know, it wasn't something his he wasn't nearly as foregone of a conclusion as anybody else, as everybody else. So. Him dying, I thought, did have a little more impact, just for no other reason because of that. Um, See, and that, that, that's actually where we depart on this one, because we covered it last episode. I thought after the moments that Jorah had, which were, which were a lot more subtle than Theon. Theon's redemption moments were more in-your-face and more obvious than the type that we traditionally see as redemption moments. But Jorah had a bunch of subtle redemption moments that we covered in our podcast last week, if you guys want to tune into that. But to briefly cover it here, you know, Jorah had that moment again with Sam where he was given the sword of House Charlie, which was a big moment for him again because he'd been deprived of being a Mormon for so long because of the sins he had committed in the slave trade. And then he also had that moment with Daenerys where, you know, Daenerys had, to an extent, shut him out and less and less over time had gone on, but had shut him out for three years. And that also came full circle for him last episode when he defended Tyrion to Daenerys, and Daenerys took his counsel and listened to him and basically forgave Tyrion for all the bad decisions that Tyrion had been making. So to me, it wasn't shocking at all. Jorah was, you know, and I'm not this, this clairvoyant person, but just reading reading the signs, you know, as, as much as we saw from Theon to think that, okay, Theon's story had been written and we think he can go out, I thought Jorah's story of, you know, being accepted not only by Daenerys but being accepted by another family and being accepted by his own in that conversation he had with Lady Mormont uh, you know in in the main hall of Winterfell last episode I thought he had also reached the point where okay it makes sense if they need to close the loop on Jorah one last final heroic death defending Daenerys will do it and we saw that that's exactly what they gave to us yeah I guess that's fair um, alright so what was 
you had one, uh, I think you mentioned one extra winner over me. So what was your third winner? The most obvious one. And this is the only one who's living. It's Cersei. How can, how can Cersei not come out the biggest winner from this? I mean, everybody who kept their lives in Winterfell, yeah, they're winners to a degree. But Cersei, I mean, we can say all we want about Cersei's decision and how it lacked honor. And, you know, in a, in a sense, how, it, you know, you can argue that it wasn't practical because, if, you know, she wouldn't have sent their army and they would have lost this. Now she has to deal with the Night King alone. But she, I mean, her her gamble and her strategy ended up being, being the biggest thing. Daenerys's army and Jon Snow's army is now depleted. To what degree, we don't know, but we're going to find that out soon. But meanwhile, Cersei's army is rested. They're fed. They're bathing in the sun. It may no longer be winter, and, you know, they're ready to go for what comes next. So I think Cersei is the <laughs> obvious living winner from this episode. Yeah, I, I, and there's a lot to be said for that. And I'm that's I'm really excited for this week's episode to get back to uh, Cersei and to get back to you know what we're um, you know kind of more of that thread because I definitely do think that's that's a for me that's more compelling. You know that, that's always been the more more compelling um, sort of part of the show. So yeah, and yeah, I yeah for us both. I mean, I can't wait. I guess we're all winners in the sense that. As frustrating as this was, this subplot's over, and now we can get to the real thing, which is what's going to happen. Let's turn to the real villain of this show, finally, which has been Cersei all along. Right. Not the Night King, but Cersei is the true compelling villain of the show that we want to see dealt with at some point. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, okay, so I think that is that it for your winners, Char? That's it for that's it for my winners. Did you have any losers? I only had one. I mean, there were a lot of losers. Yeah, I mean, there were a lot of losers, but... I mean, that's the thing, is there were a lot of losers, and everybody kind of left. It, it's like, I have one loser, I guess a first place loser, and then tied for second is basically everybody else. Um, my, uh, this one's going to be an, uh, um, a little bit different take, but actually my loser for this week uh, was Regal. Um, for the simple reason that... And again, you know, we can spend a, a hot minute on all of the issues I had with plot holes and, and, and tactical issues with this episode, but I could go for hours on that, so we shouldn't spend too much time, but Rhaegal, he essentially was Jon Snow sat there with his stupid friggin' dragon and Rhaegal just sat on the wall and and did basically nothing all episode for inexplicable reasons until Viserion shows up, and then Jon has him, you know, attack Viserion um he gets the shit beat out of him, and then he flies away. So John is so inept and and at basically everything, um, aside from you know <laughs> foot combat, you know tactical combat, dragon riding, all of these skill sets. You know he's he's cripplingly useless at, and in turn basically took one of the dragons, one of the two remaining dragons they have, completely out of the fight. Uh, and and rendered him, you know, window dressing, and I I just felt so bad for Regal, you know. It's like he I, I thought he deserved a lot better than that. Um, he apparently, and it's not even clear that he survived. Um, you know that the fight with Viserion, he takes such a beating, and and John, you know, lo- gets not clear of him, and loses him. You know, it's not even clear that he survived the episode. We know he survived the episode because the trailer for next week shows that there's still two dragons. Um, but it just, 
Yeah, I I just felt terrible uh, for that for that. And that's poor what makes you the special human that you are is having a soft side, soft spot for dragons. Right. I don't think you're gonna find too many people that can empathize with a dragon, but good for you. I mean, you, you were able to do it. Um, so did you have any losers this week? I had two. I think the first one is the good people of the nation of Dothraki. Right. I know it's not a nation, but the Dothraki in general. I mean, it made no sense. You know, first from a tactical standpoint, you don't know what's in front of you. Why are you putting this fabled group of warriors who their skill set is unimaginable and by all accounts might be still the you know the, the, the most fierce and the one subset of warriors you don't want to face in all of Westeros? Why would you put them on the front lines and send them marching to their death is beyond me. In fact, if you wanted to do it from a, you know, a better strategy standpoint, you should have done it the way Sansa did it back in the Battle of Bastards, where she let everybody hover in the middle and chaos ensue, and then she brought in the Knights of the Vale on horseback to essentially cut through everyone and end the battle, you know, in a basically one ten-minute blitzkrieg. Uh, so it was, you know, it was shocking that that was what, you know, from a tactical standpoint they chose in the show, but also from another standpoint too, you know, why are we? I mean, are the Dothraki basically gone after this? Yeah, it looks like it. So what? The, I mean, what's the point of this? Why bring the Dothraki over <laughs> here to Westeros and have this, you know, group that has never been fighting in Westeros finally fighting there? And they've been talking about how scary the Dothraki are. And, you know, we saw it. We saw it in full display last season when Daenerys attacked the Lannister army on the open and what the Dothraki could do and just have them, like, march to their deaths for no reason in the middle of the di- night. And without, you know, any sort of, you know, heroism or any sort of heroic death like what we saw with other people, I just thought, you know, it was unfortunate for all of us as the audience to see this and it was unfortunate for anybody who's ever been rooting for Kyle Drogo and the Dothraki to see it go down like this. Well, all right, so to, to follow up on that, and I guess this is probably good a time as any for me to do my, my rant, and I'll try to keep this short. One of my biggest issues with this episode was just the mind-numbingly stupid uh, tactical and and individual battle decisions a lot of the characters made and and this feeds the and it starts with the Dothraki so to begin with uh, one you put the Dothraki out there who until Malasandra shows up out of the blue that nobody could have anticipated apparently don't have weapons that can actually kill White Walkers um, she has to delight their weapons to even be useful second. I don't understand why they had so many people uh, outside of, you know, so far outside of the gates anyway that, you know, I get their justification that this is all part of a a way to sort of occupy the army while they lure the Night King out with Bran and blah, 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 fine. I'll, I'll accept that. But still, like, the fact that they didn't have a lot more people reserved inside of the gate or hanging closer to, you know, the walls of, of Winterfell was just bizarre um but then you have the dothraki right out all alone so they're incredibly undermanned um you know they're going to be blitzed by this army of undead it took the trebuchets that they had constructed you know the dozens and dozens of trebuchets completely out of the battle when in reality they should have just been sitting there pinned down and and launching as many flaming you know sacks of of whatever they're putting right. on the trebuchets right. um so it, it's and and then and then as the Dothraki charge off on their own, it's like the only reason you have a vanguard, the only reason you send out a, a, a charging army a, or a charging segment of your army like that is to occupy 
your opposing forces while the rest of your army swings around and tries to pincer or tries to to cut up cut them off and, and split the other side you know that's pretty standard tactics and instead they just run out and everybody just stands there and watch the watches them slowly die like the whole thing was was infuriating and and like you said you know again it, this goes back into the, the the one of the recurring problems with this show is a lot of build up and then just nothing you know we spent all this time building up the dothraki and and having you know danny you know uh ally them you know under her and showing what fierce warriors they are just to watch all of them sputter off in the 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 distance and 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 vanish it was just yeah everything about it was was horrible and then you know and then uh, the one last thing i'll add as far as my rant goes because there's a bunch of articles written on this you can read about how stupid the tactics were but then you also have again you have one dragon that's been completely taken out of it when you could have regal flying around along with drogon and, and torching them from the sky as much as possible then when you finally the army finally advances the undead army finally advances enough and Malasandra thankfully manages to get the the trenches lit they all just stand there like everybody in Winterfell just stands there staring at the army. You have dragon glass arrows. You built millions of dragon glass arrows for a Isn't reason. That the time to unleash all of it. Yeah, that is the perfect time to unleash all those. The, arrows. I, what are you doing, just standing there oh. watching what happens next? So yeah. Anyway, so what was your other loser, Shar? You know, we amongst all the winners, we mentioned one living winner, which was Cersei. And then my one living loser, which is the exact opposite of Cersei in this case, is Daenerys. For the exact same reasons we covered with Cersei and a couple others. Uh, but, you know, as far as the practical toll goes, she lost half her army. You know, she spent all this time in Essos freeing all those slave cities and doing all these things. And that's why she has, you know, it takes a minute long to say all the different titles she has. And during the course of that, she managed to build up the greatest army that the world has ever seen, which was, you know, comprised of the Dothraki, comprised of the Unsullied, and to a degree was comprised of the Second Sun. And now she managed to ally with Jon Snow and get the North and, you know, even build this great army up even more. And, you know, with one swoop from the Night King, you know, she suffered a major blow there. And, we, you know, we're not going to know exactly what it was until the next episode, but from a practical point of view, you know, Daenerys was a huge loser. From an emotional point of view, she's an even bigger loser. Mm-hmm. Uh, losing Jorah, who, you know, against her friend zone, you know, even though he was her friend zone to her this whole time, she was an important figure. She was like the older brother that she never had, that Viserys never could be to her. That's what Jorah was. Jorah was the guy who was with her throughout this, watching <laughs> over her and keeping her safe. Uh, and, you know, serving as that confidant to her. And losing him was huge. And in addition to losing him, losing the Dothraki was huge to her. You know, since we've known her on screen, her story has been connected with the Dothraki. Even before Grey Worm and the Unsullied came into her life, it was the Dothraki who were her family and who, you know, she first connected with and who she first had this semblance of belonging with as their Khaleesi and their queen. So... You know, that scene from the top where her and Jon Snow are sitting there watching this and Jon Snow is trying to remind her, hey, we, you know, which, again, was probably pretty terrible tactics by Jon Snow, but he was reminding her, hey, you know, we can't just ride off in a battle yet. We need to stay here and protect Bran because the Night King's coming. You know, she just saw her, you know, the closest thing she ever had to family eviscerated in 10 seconds. And, you know, whether she was thinking rationally or not, 
she probably was because she chose correctly, but you can't blame anyone in her circumstance from seeing, you know, her family go, which was the Dothraki, go into battle like that and all be wiped out in 10 seconds. So, you know, both practically and both emotionally, this episode was a huge blow to her, unlike anything we've ever seen, you know, the adversity that we've seen her had to face before. Yeah, no, I, and I agree with that. And, and, you know, and also, you know, she, yeah, I mean, anyway, you cut it. She, I do agree. She had a rough, you know, a, a rough uh, episode. So, um, okay. So there were a bunch of, I thought there were a bunch of Easter eggs dropped in this episode. You know, even though there wasn't a lot of dialogue, there were some well-timed, just subtle references to the past. Um, I don't know if you had a favorite one. My, mine in particular was when Arya and Sansa at the beginning of the episode were out there, and then Arya sends Sansa back to the crypt, hands her the dagger, and Sansa says, I don't know how to use this, and Arya says, stick him with a pointy end. Right. Which, of course, was a reference back to when Jon gave, uh, gave Arya a needle back in season one, and that, that was the instruction he gave her is stick him with a pointy end. Right. Well, and also you have uh, the, the sort of follow up on that. Uh, the other good reference you had with Arya was uh, when uh, Melisandre says, "You know, what do we say right. uh, to the god of death?" Um, yeah, there's been a lot of sort of throwbacks this episode. I would say my favorite it wasn't necessarily a, a, a direct line throwback, but when uh, uh, Tyrion uh, and uh, Sansa are talking and. She mentions that he was the best husband that she, she ever had. Yeah. That yeah. that that was great. And 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 again, this follows up on something I said last episode. Is they have such good chemistry. Uh, their their scenes together that both last throughout this season. I think they've had uh, a little back and forth every episode now. But they they really do have this this great play off each other. So I, I, that I thought was kind of my favorite little. Uh, callback you know one liner of, of this of well this. And it sort of you know it reminded you of missed all this it, it, it made you think of for a second everything that Sansa had gone through you right know? It, it, which made you think you know this battle of Winterfell wasn't exactly the worst thing she's ever been through because she's been married to Joffrey she's been married to Ramsay Bolton and you know she was forced to marry Tyrion who amongst them all was clearly the best husband she oh ever yeah had. yeah so, all right. I thought the uh, the the other one I liked too, which was kind of a throwback, was the uh, when the when Melisandre lights the fire and the hound's standing there outside, and he starts freaking out again, like he did back in the Battle of Blackwater, and he goes into the funk for ten minutes, and it doesn't look like he's going to snap out of it. Uh, I like the way that resolved itself, where you know, and you reference this a little earlier which you know the thing that finally got him to snap out of it yeah it was Dondarrion who helped him but it was really Arya that helped him snap out of it which you know is the thing that I've been hitting on the last couple of episodes so the one thing the, the only thing that we've seen that makes the hound human and you know is the only time he displays any emotion is his connection with Arya yeah which I think you know my I think we're gonna see more of as the, as this show unwinds, and I think Arya is actually going to play a big role in the Clegane Bowl to an extent because you know, like it or not, Arya and the Hound are bonded and they are connected, and you know, it's the one time we see the Hound sort of as this proud uncle of what Arya has become after all they went through together. Yeah, no, I agree, I agree, and it's I'm really excited for the Clegane Bowl too. 
So we'll when do you s- think that's going to happen? I think it's going to be the last episode. I really do. I think, or very close to it. Either the well, I guess we only have three left. So I'm basically just saying it's not going to be next episode. It'll either be the last episode or the second to last episode. I suspect. Um, but if I had to put, so, put money, I'd say it's going to be the last episode. So any particular predictions moving forward now that we've covered most of everything we needed to with the battle? Of <laughs> I actually, I don't. Um, I, I, I've got a few kind of general inklings, but, you know, I mean, my my one bold prediction for this episode was, was dead wrong, which was that I thought they, they might uh, actually lose, um, essentially, and that the... the Knight's army would continue marching south, and that they it would lead to you know Cersei having to fight them, and then what's left of uh, the Winterfell forces coming up behind and actually uh, vanquishing uh, the Knight's army. And I was obviously wrong on that. Um, I guess the the sort of general inkling I suspect is that um, something is going to happen internally. Uh, with Sansa's army uh, or Sansa's forces, however you want to put it, that's going to because co- right now, if if or not Sansa, sorry, with Cersei, because right now if Cersei, um, as it stands, Cersei should easily you know win. If if they were to go to war right now, uh, Cersei should win, walking away because the uh, you know any way you cut it, the the Winterfell forces have been decimated. So I think, and and I think. There's been such kind of hand wringing uh, on the show about how Tyrion and um, uh, uh, the Eunuch and and even to some degree Sansa how they've become kind of useless because they're the the uh, strategy people and I think that's setting up something. I think we're going to see something happen where they're going to be useful again and they're going to cause you know some sort of split in Cersei's forces or. Or something's going to happen because of that that's going to undermine them. I also think Bran's warging uh, in the middle of the battle. A lot of people are, you know, have given him shit for it. And there's a lot of memes. Right. But well, where was he? That's the what thing. What was he doing? What was the point of that? The, I think we're going to find out. That's the thing. I think there was something very profound he was doing um, that, and we're going to find out what it was. Now, the thing to keep in mind um, too is, and, and something that hasn't come up is Bran can warg through time, you know. So he has an, a, a limited ability to actually project himself, you know, into the past. And I, I'm i guessing what he did was something significant. I think the, the time aspect of it is going to come into play too. So, so we'll see. Those are, I guess, my two general kind of thoughts. Like I said, they're not really predictions, but I think those are the things that are going to be important. Um, and I and I'm giving up on any life or death predictions at this point. Um, what about you, Shar? Do you have any particular uh, bold proclamations you want to make? Yeah, as far as specific predictions we made about character deaths going into this with Theon and Jorah in particular, and in, in Dondarrion to an extent too, we were dead on last week when it came to that. So I think you can give yourself credit for that. As far as my overarching prediction going into this episode. I was also uh, blatantly wrong, which my overarching prediction was that the Night King is going to bypass Winterfell and go straight to King's Landing, which obviously didn't happen. So I was wrong there. I don't have any particular predictions moving forward. The only thought I have is that if you had to make favorites for the Iron Throne right now, you have to put Cersei as a favorite based on everything that happened there. Maybe something happens that changes the game, like what you said, 
But I'm going to proceed cautiously with that hope because the one thing we've learned from Game of Thrones is that while there are, you know, surprise happy endings where it seems like all is lost and Arya springs out of nowhere to save the day, and we've seen a couple different instances of that where they give us the good guy ending we want. In general, one of the harsh lessons we've learned from Game of Thrones is if they're dropping hints that you're making mistakes over a prolonged period of time, those mistakes are eventually going to come back to get you. You know, this is the real world. Miracles don't happen that often. You know, and I say that, you know, with some levity because, of course, there's dragons and there's some other, you know, things that make it not in the real world. But generally, they try to teach us practical, harsh lessons here. And I'm hoping against hope that the harsh lesson from this isn't that Cersei made the right decision by not joining the fight and doing the dishonorable thing and being rewarded as a result of it. But, uh, you know, I'm having a hard time seeing any other way. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, it'll be interesting. I mean, I, that's the thing is I think now, in a way, I'm I'm glad we've moved, and I think we both are glad we've moved past the Night King because the Night King arc Amen. was... Amen. Yeah, and it was also, it was somewhat predictable. Um, I mean, not per se, but we all knew it was going to end in a big battle. We all knew one way or the other Winterfell was going to take a huge t- toll. We all kind of knew one way or the other the Night King was going to be vanquished and they were going to be successful, blah, 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 blah. That that part of it was sort of a, a foregone conclusion. Now we're moving on to the part that's way more interesting, and I think that's part of the reason why we don't have, neither one of us have great predictions, is we just don't know what's going to happen. you know. And I agree, right, right now Cersei definitely has to be the favorite uh, to keep the Iron Throne, so it and it might, it very well might. The, if it's true to George R. R. Martin's spirit, I, I'm not a hundred percent convinced that this show doesn't end on a on a down note with a glimmer of hope. You know, I, that would not be a surprising any to me at all that it ends with her still on the throne. But there's you know this little seed planted that there might be you know a rebellion or something like that. Who knows? But but yeah, it, it's it's I'm really excited. Yeah. I'm I'm really looking forward to the this next episode because I think we're gonna it, it's gonna be returned to a lot of the stuff we like more about the right, show. Right, I think so too. We're gonna have a, from our our particular specific vantage point. It's gonna be it's gonna be more of what we like. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, I guess that probably really covers all of our main hit points. We actually managed to go a good hour on something that we didn't think we'd be able to talk much about. So do you have any... You and I spending a lot of time talking about something, even when we didn't think we could talk so that much. Weird. Who, who, weird. Who would have guessed? Super. Nope. Nobody. Uh, do you have any uh, anything we missed? Any final thoughts that you want to add, Shar? I think that's it. I, again, overall, I, I thought it, despite all the issues that we can nitpick with it i thought it was greatly done but thank god we're done with this and we can move on and get back to the main thing that's been on all our minds this whole time yeah i agree all right um well i i don't have any additional thoughts either so i guess we'll go and wrap this up and we we definitely look forward to talking to you all about uh about this next episode because i think we're gonna have uh, a lot of of takes on unless unless nothing happens in which case all of our takes will be you know infuriating enjoy watching the aftermath folks yep all right uh that's it for the iron couch uh look forward to talking to you all uh next i guess probably it's going to end up being uh, hopefully we get it done a little earlier this week but we'll see our schedules are both been crazy but one way or the other we'll look forward to talking uh at you all next week stay classy